Hello and welcome to the latest Royal Automobile Club podcast in association with Motorsport magazine. My name's Simon Aaron, I'm Features Editor of Motorsport and I'm delighted to be joined today by my colleague Samarth Canal. Morning Samarth. And also three times Speedway World Champion Ty Woffenden, the only man to have won it three times I believe. Ty, a very warm welcome to the Royal Automobile Club. Thanks, mate. It's, a, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Um, you know, just cruising around and checking out the building and all the history that's here. It's, um, it's an amazing place. The reason you're here is for a lunch to receive the Torrance Trophy, which has previously been awarded to a number of motorcycle racing greats, Jonathan Ray, Cal Crutchlow, John McGuinness. It's not bad company to be in, is it? It is. I don't really know Cal personally. I know uh, one of my friends, Sam Lowe's, hangs out with him a little bit on the on the MotoGP course. But um, Johnny and um, and Mr. McGuinness, I know quite well. So um, yeah, it's, it's great people to be um, have my name up there with, and um, I know them personally as well. So it's it's pretty cool. Let's talk about your own career. Your, your background is slightly unusual in that you grew up. You you were born in Scunthorpe and you grew up in Perth, Western Australia. That's, that's not a common combination. Um, but, I mean, your background, your father, Rob, sadly passed away a few years ago, I know, but he was a highly respected speedway rider. So was, and you, and he took the family over to Western Australia. For you, was the speedway thing, was it just something that happened when you were three or four years old, which is often, often what happens to the, the progeny of bike racers? Um, well, I've been on, there's, videos and pictures of me on a bike from when I was like before I could walk so um, that was obviously when we was in the UK then we went out to Australia ended up getting like a KX60 used to race motocross um, just as more of a hobby to do on the weekend um, and then when I was 12 we went to our friend's house who had a track in his garden and we was racing that track and when we was prepping the bikes on the Saturday night I saw a speedway bike tucked away in the corner and I, I wanted to have a go on that and my dad goes, like, I never knew that my dad raced at that point. So my dad was like, oh, like, we can't really afford to have both bikes. You'd have to sell your motocross bike and if you want to try that. So I was like, yeah, sweet. So I sold the motocross bike and got a speedway bike and, and that was the start of it. Um, just went to the, to the local track and, and did a practice day. And a week later, after we got the bike, there was, um, there was the f one of the rounds of the Australian Under-16 Championship and they were short a couple of riders. So they said, you know, if you can, if you can do a start, then... Um, we'll put you in the event. So the first start, like I stalled it, and then the second one I stalled it. Third one I was away, and they was like, "Yes, yeah, sweet, you're in." So that was um, that was my first event when I was. Uh, that would have been 2002, I would say. You see, you 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 weren't aware growing up that your father had been a speedway rider. No. And how the hell did he keep that quiet? Or well, did, was it a deliberate effort on his part to kind of I don't know. change it, from the sport? It just never got spoke about. Um, I didn't even, even like when I was racing the 125s in the junior speedway in Australia, I never really knew that, like, what he did. Like, I, I just knew him as like a guy that sold cars because he had a car yard. So, like, that was my dad's job. Never, never knew any of the motorcycling background. So, I didn't actually realise until we came to Europe and like a first year in Europe and everyone's like, oh, you know, you're just like your dad and you like, got the same style as him. And I was like, what do you mean? And they was like, oh, yeah, he used to race. And I was like... My dad used to race, and then and then I started asking questions, and they started explaining. So it was yeah, it was a strange one. And what for you was the particular appeal of Speedway? I mean, I don't, what have we got? Five, I mean, the, the the Grand Prix bikes have got five hundred brake horsepower. 
something like that? No, they're 500 cc. 500 cc. Yeah, sorry. so they got like 77 horsepower. Oh, sorry, but sorry, the, I do apologize. Yeah. The bike weighs 77 kilograms, so it's like one kilogram per horse. So um, the power to weight ratio is quite extraordinary. Um, it's noted that they accelerate faster than a Formula One, so they're um, they're, they're pretty quick. But it's it's just an exciting sport. Do you know what I mean? Like. It's one of the only sports you can sit there and watch the whole race, like one of the motorcycling sports or racing sports in general. Um, you know, you can sit in the grandstand, watch every race all night, um, which I think is a, a plus when you want to go. Because like, like although if I go to watch an event, I always watch it from home, not a speedway event, like a other motorsporting event, because I get to see the whole race. Like I wouldn't want to fly to Valencia to watch MotoGP and you go all that way to watch them come past you once and go around the corner. So that's what makes Speedway so exciting and that's why so many people love it. And it is, I mean, it's popular in this country. I think you 50,000 people watch the British Grand Prix in this country. Yeah. Yet it's not the kind of sport that gets mainstream news coverage in the same way as MotoGP would, for yeah, example. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, do you get recognised in the street and stuff when you're walking around? Do people go, oh, that's Ty Woffenden? Or do yeah. you feel like Speedway needs a lot more coverage as well? Um, oh, of course it needs more coverage. Like, it's classed as a minority sport. So when you come to, like, events like um, uh, BBC Sports Personality, you know, Speedway's always overlooked. Um, you know, I think this year just gone, there wasn't actually that many British athletes that had achieved anything for instance like the england football team they, they didn't achieve anything yet they was up there i've won my third world title and there wasn't a mention so there's there's little things like that whereas if it was more in the mainstream then them kind of things would would arise more but i guess on the flip side like i don't want to be no like lewis hamilton where i can't go to the shop like i can go to the shop now and a couple of people like if i go to asda or something or tesco someone will stop me a couple of people two or three people max three people max, two people pretty much every time I go. And I'll sit down and have a couple of minutes conversation with them and they'll ask, you know, what, what are you doing here? Like just at like local local food stores. And, um, you know, that's kind of nice. I can, I can deal with that. And how easy is it? I mean, I know you got there um, from a very young age, but how easy is it to get into Speedway if you're a young rider trying to, you know, I know motocross, there's a lot going on, but Speedway seems like a very dangerous physical sport. It looks to me like a rodeo, you know, you're kind of trying to hang onto the bull uh, or actually dodge the bull in a way as well. And I know at rodeo's horses. <laughs> it's funny you say that because we were sat having a coffee this morning. One of the guys that I was with, he goes, um, it's like Speedway is like the, um, the gladiators and their chariots. We're like the modern day of them. Like if they was living in this day and age, they'd ride a Speedway bike. That's what he said earlier. And I thought that was quite a good like way of looking at it. But um they're, they're a real simple bike. They're simple, they're fast, and they're exciting. And when you ride them, you get this like thrill, this big buzz of adrenaline. And the level that I'm at now, I've become like one with the bike. So for me, it's like so easy to, to ride a bike. But for someone getting started, yes, it is a little bit dangerous, a little bit hard, but then, you know, it's dangerous doing everything. You know, there's there's always the, the risk factor of doing any motorsport. Have you, have you tried an ice speedway bike? Because that, that always struck me as being particularly lo loopy. Well, I hate the cold. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I haven't even given it a second thought. I know, I know what the sport is. I actually met one of the guys, the guy that won the world championship last year at the FIM Awards. We sat on the same table, um, Russian dude. And he was like showing me, he couldn't speak any English, but he was showing me some videos of like what he's been doing. And I was like, dude, that looks so fun. But man, that must be so cold. Well, it's so um, cold, and also if you, if you get hit by another bike, that's one thing, but another bike with spikes, yeah, <laughs> spikes in the tyres. become a bit of a pincushion. Yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah, I just, I always go back to Australia in the off-season where it's warm and the sun's shining. That's my thing. 
So whereabouts are you, are you based in the UK now when you're in Europe? Yeah, so we live in between Nottingham and Derby. We've got like a six minute drive from East Midlands Airport, which is nice because I get all my connections from there. Um, or there or Birmingham. So um, so it's, it's really good um, as far as that's concerned. My wife's from Nottingham, um, so it's just across the M1. Um, and then we go back to Australia for for the off season. So Faye has to do six months a year now in Australia. So she'll be it's out there. It's no hardship, is it? Uh, that's no, <laughs> we, we just put in for a permanent residency. And um, obviously my daughter's got her passport through uh, by descent, so, so through me. Um, and then just, yeah, going through the process of getting all phase stuff sorted. So she's about seven years away from receiving an Australian passport. When I was growing up as a kid, Speedway was on telly quite a bit. Uh, ITV, Dave Lanning doing the commentary, Peter Collins from Bellevue Aces, Barry Briggs, Ivan Major were the, kind of the big names. Um, and I used to watch it a lot. And it, was, it was accessible in your living room during the uh, you know, highlights packages during the week. It was great. But it, it, did, it did seem to drift a bit. I don't know when, 1990s. Have you any idea why the popularity did diminish a little bit? Um, I'm not really sure. Like, as far as the sport's concerned, it's raw, it's fast, it's exciting. So exactly. there's no reason why that should have happened. When you go to, to Speedway events now, you do see a lot of older people at the, at the events. There's not, really, you know, there's not that many like 15 to 20 year olds where an event like that where it's busy and they're serving beer and all that sort of thing you want you want it to be full of them sort of people because they're your next generation of well also they're also the riders of that generation as well yeah for sure so um i don't know i think it's probably in the uk it's i think it's more a lack of not having a um not having a, a barrier working for speedway that can that knows a hundred percent this will this is what we need to do to make it successful instead you've got maybe a couple of people that are trying to do it but they're a little bit out of their depth and they don't really know the process to to get that sport great again um but you know from a rider's point of view that's not my job i've given my thoughts on how i think the sport can move forward over various press releases over the last since 2013 um, which always seems to fall on deaf ears so I just I'll just keep riding my bike and, and doing my thing and you've been also quite vocal about wanting far more speed you know speedway titles than you already have you've got three now how many are you actually aiming for I've seen various numbers get thrown around but really how many you do you yeah. think you can feasibly get um, I can feasibly get whatever I want to get like as for as long as I, I ride like I genuinely believe that when I bring my a game and I'm fit and ready and 100% I'll win the world title because for for me to win the world title, I just need to like be fit and healthy and I'll win. When I'm not fit and healthy, I still come in, I still get on the podium at the end of the year. So like my years that our class is really bad. It's like 14, 16, 17 in miles is really bad and I can still get on the podium at the end of the year. So um, when I put my mind to it, I can achieve it. Um, so. I put my mind to it. We did some stuff with some fans at the start of last year and I was sat in a room and I said to all of them, I'm going to win the world title this year. And they all, like a few of them laughed and a few of them was like, oh, he's a bit arrogant, like whatever. But I knew the hard work that I put in in pre-season. So, and I know that if I bring my A game, I'll win the world title. So I put in the hard work in pre-season. I got to the start of the season. I was like, I'm ready, like I'm going to win. And then I backed it up and I won. And then all winter, all I've done is focus on this year to go back to back. There's only a select handful of riders that have gone back to back. Um, and I want to be one of them riders. And the answer to your question is I want to win seven world titles. The most that's ever been won is six. Um, so I want to be the greatest of all time. 
So that means winning seven. And then on that seventh world title, I'll stand on the podium and retire there and then. I'm, I'm seeing few sports persons be that confident about <laughs> winning anything. That is yeah. genuinely amazing. And and of course, I mean, who am I to say that you can't do it? But that that is genuinely amazing. But when is can you feasibly keep going? I mean, how long can you keep going now? You're nearing 30 um, well, I mean. Greg Hancock, an American writer, he's still writing now. And um, God, he's a fossil. Like, <laughs> I'm, good fr- I'm good friends with him. He's not a fossil. He's, a fossil um, to you is probably about 31, 32 or something. Yeah. <laughs> he's probably um, not he's, that old. He's experienced. Yeah. This is a mutual <laughs> agreement we have between each other. An experienced fossil. I won't say he's old. And I have to say he's a his experience and we always have a little joke about it um but yeah greg i, d- I don't want to say his age because i don't want to disrespect him um but he's, he's one of the oldest riders in the field and he's still competitive so um as long as the desire is there and the want and and the will to succeed and um and i can keep going back to australia and hurting myself physically to to be prepared for the new season then um then i'll keep going you've got quite a cosmopolitan existence at the moment. I mean, you've six months of the year based in the UK, six in Australia, and the teams you're riding for are based in Sweden and Poland. How does that work? Um, yeah, so I'm like I'm like a FIFO worker, so I just <laughs> fly in, fly out. Um, I have a base in Poland and a base in Sweden, and obviously live in England when we're here, and then just yeah, jump on a plane, fly into Poland, race, fly back. So it's, it's quite straightforward. I race Poland every Sunday, Sweden every Tuesday from April to the end of October. And the Grand Prix are pretty much every fortnight with a little break in the middle of the season. So, um, you know, I normally fly to Poland on Saturday, Friday night or Saturday morning, practice Saturday, race Sunday, fly to Sweden Monday, race Sweden Tuesday, fly back Wednesday. I really want to see your Air Miles account, by the way. <laughs> it's no good <laughs> because genuinely. we always fly with them budget airlines where you get and nothing. Yeah, the short hall, be the short hall as well. There's nothing. But <laughs> when, you, when you're paying, you know, if you book your tickets in advance, like a flight to Sweden, I'm getting like £20 return. Like I don't even know how they can afford to run a twenty pound return, but that's what the flights are. So, but you have to be a little bit organised and book everything in advance. So, from a practical point of view, what's the reason for riding with Swedish and Polish teams rather than, say, a British team and a European team? So, the level that I'm at in the world, obviously, world championship level, you want to be performing at that level all the time. So, when we race in Poland, that's the hardest league in the world closely followed by Sweden. Some years Sweden seems harder than Poland, but then some years Poland seems harder. So they're like on a level playing field. Um, you know, you look at the teams and you're like, man, like you you can't look at through the team and find one weak rider. They're normally like all strong. So, you know, to race at that top level, you need to be performing against them top athletes on a daily basis to keep that level of intensity there for when you get to the world championship. And how far behind that level is Britain at the moment? Um, I, I think there might be one world championship rider racing in the UK at the moment, Jason Doyle. But don't quote me on that. But I don't know anyone else that was. Freddie Lindgren was. Chris Holder was. But I don't think Chris is racing in England this year. Freddie's not racing in England this year. So there's, um, yeah, there's more and more people, more and more top riders dropping out to focus on Poland and Sweden. Let's go through a little bit of the technicalities of a, of a Speedway bike. Um, a tyre. One race, two races, an engine, a, a weekend, a meeting. How how often do you have to change those things? Um, so an engine I'm doing 15 minutes on, which essentially is five races. Um, if we practice, then I'll do 20 minutes on it because practice is a little bit more 
like lower intensity and we'll be trying different things. So sometimes I might go out and do two laps rather than four. So we do a little bit more in practice. Um, but like I can go to Poland and wear out four engines like straight away. And then you, know, you go for one day practice in Poland and you send all your engines for a service. So um, luckily my tuna is Polish. So um, that's not too much of an issue. Um, and how long does an engine change take? An engine change, I reckon my boys do it in about four minutes, four and a half minutes or something. So, <laughs> to, the, to, the, to the car world, that is completely yeah. You know, alien. So I'm actually going to call him and find out because I'm sure that question will come up later, but I want to know the exact number. But it's um, it's fast. A speedway bike's so simple. Like you have, yeah. there's five bolts holding the engine in, a Jubilee clip holding the carburetor on. So you take your carburetor off under your engine bolts, essentially just pop your exhaust off and pull it out the way and you can drop the whole engine out. So it's... um. Yeah, it's more the little like cable ties on the little bits, like the oil overflow and all your little like tricky bits that take that little bit more time. But as far as unbolting the engine and dropping it down, it's so easy. So reliability has never been an issue in in this world because once again, when I see, uh, yeah, I'm trying to win, 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 win a world title this year. I know, you just said you want to win seven, <laughs> but that's as again, what I'm getting back to how yeah. confident you are. It's because you can be sure that yeah. it's not going to be like so a backmarker F1 car where the team, the wrong. team that I've employed, um, they're a hundred percent like the bikes. You walk. There's a guy called Lee Adams who retired, got injured. Um, paralyzed he's now doing stuff with kids in Australia and when we was at the Australian Grand Prix he'd come down with the kids and he'd like stop at my bikes and he'd go kids if you want to be world champion this is what your bikes need to look like and he says it every year he comes past says how nice the bikes look how like well presented we are that how the team is he just says we stand out from the rest which is nice coming from him because he was a world-class rider for a long time and it's nice that he can see that and he's telling all the kids the future Australian kids you know this is what you need your stuff to look like um, going back to your question, so the the engine 15 minutes, um, the tyre, because we have no brakes, the wheel's reversible. So you can like pop the wheel out, undo the sprocket, put it on the other side, bolt it back on and spin it around and slide it in. So we do like one race, so a minute per edge. So you do like one race on one edge, come in, flip the tyre, one race on the next edge, next wheel. So we have like five or six wheels fitted in Park Ferme, ready to, ready to rock and roll for a Grand Prix and we just put a new edge on every race. And you have one gear on these bikes, so. Yeah, they're just set in gear, so you have to like bump start it. There's right. no like, um, and you just hold the clutch in and bump start it. And so then in terms away. of setup, what do you do to, you know, I know what we can do with a car. There's camera yep. angles, there's suspension setup and all this, but what is there on a speedway yeah, bike so to we, set up? So we have no rear suspension, so that we've got no suspension issues. Um, the front suspension's leading link forks, which is like 1930s. <laughs> so we have the uh, Olin's on the front for the damper um, and the rebound is essentially like two rubbers because that's how the forks work. Um, so that's like taken a heap of stuff away from what we have to focus on because as you know, with like cars or, or MotoGP, suspension's huge. Um, so getting rid of that is perfect because we don't need that. Um, and then we've got like wheelbase, so front and back. Um, sprockets, so keep taking teeth off. If the wheel's spinning too much and you're not getting any traction, just keep dropping sprockets off. Um, but then you can go too far and then the engine will be like lazy and sluggish. So you might want to go back up one um, and then retard the ignition or advance the ignition or go bigger on the jet, smaller on the jet, depending on the air density. 
So we have like little weather stations in and we're checking what's going on and we're logging everything. So we know that, you know, in the winter we need to run a little bit bigger jet, in the summer we need to run a smaller jet to achieve the same same thing, but it all depends on what the what the pressure's doing. So Yes, it does get technical. Okay, yeah, we go. No, I, I, I actually didn't expect that level of technicality. <laughs> and then, um, I was getting scientific. And then, yeah, then we start to look at once, now the level that I'm at, we've, they're just like simple things. So like when you first start, you learn how to change a jet and ignition and wheelbase and sprocket. So now we're looking at like more stuff. So um, over the last probably year and a half, I've developed my own rear part of the chassis um, to get more traction and we're now working on something that's going to have better starts. Um, we've got really good traction coming into the corner, um, but there's a little bit of traction to be gained coming out of the corner. So we're looking at like 1% here and there, just trying to get some more marginal gains. And, you know, you find 10, 1% and you're 10% better off. So, but to find 10, 1% at the level that we're at is, is very hard, but it's not impossible. The leading Formula One teams spend something like $350, $400 million mm. per season. What's the cost of a full Speedway Grand Prix season um, budget, in terms of budget? I haven't broke it down into a, into a Speedway Grand Prix season, but a full like um, a full season with Sweden, Poland and the Grand Prix is £350,000. That's, that's what mean, it cost me to run. Yeah. So, And whereas like F1, MotoGP and all that, they all are a team that employ a driver so i'm the team so we i employ the guys i pay for all the costs i have all the income i fix all the sponsorship so it works a little bit different but um at least that way i'm in full control of everything that's going on and like you said before there's no like back markers or you know like we haven't got a good enough engine because it's me that organizes that so i just make sure that I want to be successful, so I make sure I'm in that right area with all the right gear. And the the budget comes partly from sponsors, as you say, but some of it prize money as well? Or yeah, so yeah. I get paid on how I perform in Poland, so per point. Same in Sweden, and then the World Championships is on placing, and then there's sponsorship income from, from advertising. Without wishing to give away any secrets, I mean, is there just a sort of basic set of rules about speedway riding technique? I mean, I... I have to confess to my shame, I've never watched them live, I've never watched them on telly, um, but I think they're, they're, they're wonderful things to behold. What, what is the kind of, what is the basic just kind of trick to riding a speedway bike and maintaining your momentum and not falling off? Um, well, I guess the, the, the thing that you learn when you first start is to, you got like one foot pegs back and really low and the left side's high and quite like far forward. So one good technique is to keep your foot on the left foot peg when you're going down the straight and you apply a little bit of pressure and it straightens the bike up and gets the bike to hook up. And then I remember to learn how to slide it, I had to stand on my right foot peg and get my body weight really far forward. And that was just to get the weight off the back end and obviously let it drift a little bit more. So, And then as the years go on, you know, you start to understand and learn and figure out how the bike works. Then you start changing things on the bike to change your body position. And now a speedway bike's got wheel spin. So we've got so much wheel spin and all we're doing is constantly detuning to try and stop the wheel from spinning and have good traction so we can go fast. So all them little 1% is to actually get the bike to hook up, still carry the power, but hook up and go forward. So. 
And what's your physical preparation like? Because it obviously it seems like a physically intense sport, but you weigh, I mean, this is one of the few motorsport, actually probably the only motorsport where you could weigh less than the machine that you're riding, yeah, right? So I'm 66.7 and the bike's 77. I mean, so your weight must make a huge, huge difference here. So what's your preseason preparation like? Is it, I mean, is there an off season for you as well? I mean, um, yeah, I have about like three, three weeks to a month rest. Right. Um, and then like recharge my batteries and then it's like back into the training. So, um, I actually was training for some triathlons this year. So that was just a target that I set myself. Um, I've, I've joined, um, last week I joined up for Bustleton Ironman on the 1st of December, full distance. Wow. So I always set myself these like stupid little challenges. Like the other year I wanted to backflip a motocross bike. So I did that. Then like this year I wanted to race my friend's sprint car in Australia. They have the sprint cars with the big wings on. Nice. Um, so I raced that, I finished second in that. Like that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, like I do a lot of swimming, running, cycling, um, strength work, resistance training. Um, and then as the winter starts, then it's a lot more endurance stuff. And then as we get closer to the season, it's a lot more high intensity stuff. And what's your resting heart rate at now? My resting heart yeah, rate? It must because I, it's going to put me to shame. <laughs> it's only going to put me to shame. Yeah, I, I, we sit in an office. I, all day, I so would say it's fair. about 38. Yeah, okay, well. Yeah. So that shows what you need to do to be at the top level of speed. Well, to get your I mean, resting heart rate down to 38, like it's some that's pretty serious pretty, training. Yeah, great. Yeah. And, and are the other riders on the same level as you in terms of fitness? Is I don't know. A, you don't mean, know? Like, it's not really public with the with the right. thing. So you might see a lot of riders that have like a, a natural body type of being skinny. Okay. Um, but that isn't me. Like I've always struggled with my weight. So for me to be at 66.7 kilos now, it's the lightest I've ever been before a season. I'm the fittest I've ever been for before a season. My results on a DEXA scan are the best I've ever been. Um, my resting heart rate is the best it's ever been. VO2 max is the best it's ever been. So when I say I'm ready to win the world title this year, like I'm 100% ready, I'm like levels above what I've ever been. So I'm like really looking forward to this year. Can I just ask about the, the racing your friend's sprint car in, yep. in Oz? Did you find the transition complete? I mean, what you do gives you a fantastic, I mean, you must have fantastic natural balance to be able to do what you do. And yeah, it's even easier when I got four wheels. Well, well I was, was going to say, I mean, did, did, did it seem quite easy? Just did, I mean, did it feel, feel like a very comfortable switch? Yeah, everything, everything translated. So it was like everything that I'd do on a speedway bike, as far as the track craft, you know, going into the corner here, like passing people, doing a cutback and going up the inside of them and chopping like chopping away from them and like chopping the nose off as I run up to the fence. All that sort of stuff was the same. The only thing that took me a couple of laps to get used to is the the wing. So like normally, like say if this is your track here, oh hang on, I'm gonna, oh, which way? Yeah, say if that's your track there, normally I'd like turn here on a speedway bike and I'd drift into the corner and like go up to mid track, but because we're drifting so far, you turn a little bit earlier. But with the car, you come down the straight and you aim for the fence and you wait till you're about three meters before the fence and then you just turn. So you're like driving this car flat out, like you got over 600 horsepower and you flat out straight for this wall and you think like it's hard to tell your brain to keep going straight and aim for that wall because if it didn't turn, obviously you're gonna have the hugest crash ever. And then you get to like two meters away from the fence and you just give it a little flick of the steering wheel and the front wing grabs and then the top one grabs and it just rails around the fence and it's like the most unbelievable feeling. But the first time I went out on practice, I like came down the straight, turned 
and put the car on the center green because I turned where I'd turn a speedway bike <laughs> and the wing took over and like pushed it to the center green. So that was pretty funny when I did that. But um, as far as everything else, it, it translated. I finished second anyway. And I don't want to be that guy to say it, but if I had one more lap, I would have won. Like it was, <laughs> it was so frustrating. And then like, I'm telling people, man, if I had one more lap and they're like, oh, you're that guy. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm legit. Like if I had one more lap, I would have won my first like sprint car event that I'd raced in. So yeah, it was, um, it was I a mean, good, good evening. I realise you, you, your schedule's kind of pretty busy with all the stuff you're doing on a bike, but I mean, would you fancy having a go at cars again in the longer term if, if time's available? Oh, 100%. Like I'm the kind of person that when I want something, I'll just go get it. So it's really hard for my like, wife to buy me presents. And I said, <laughs> I said, all I want to do is I want to go in a rally car. So it doesn't have to be a sprint car. They, like, the rule is um, with age becomes a cage. So um, I'm sure that if I get the opportunity, I'll be able to transition over. Um, but yeah, I want to, I'm, I'm so set on doing a rally because like she sees how I drive our car like we've got a mercedes like that we drive around on a day-to-day basis and she sees how i drive that through the back lanes when it's dark um so yeah i'm like she's like man you need to go on a track and i was like yeah that's like what you can sort me but she's obviously because i'm because i've grown up riding bikes and i my limits are so different to anyone else's like to not just on a personal point of view. So like when I come to like, if you go on holiday and you get to go on a quarter saying like they go really slow, you have to ride in single file. You can't like do jumps. There's all these different like things. So I said like, I want to go on a rally car or a rally cross car. And I don't want anyone sat there telling me I can and can't do something. I just want to go. And that's the hardest part, like the hardest part. Cause she could probably fix me a rally day, but I'm going to have someone in the seat going, yeah, you need to slow down. Like you can only like, I just want to go and let rip. It feels like Rallycross is your Yeah, I was going to say yeah. Rallycross, 600 odd brake horsepower, yeah. uh, no, no co-driver nagging you. I'm not yes. just saying that because of your hat. I was genuinely yeah. a yeah. thing that you could... No, we, no problem with plug and monster. Yeah, Monster's, could... Monster's the main plug. Yeah, we all drink <laughs> that here. Um, no, but I mean, back to bikes. In terms of riding a motorcycle day to day, do you do that or is it too dangerous? No. Nah. So I've had a few friends like die on, on road bikes on the road. So um, I vouched to, to never ride on the road. Not on a, I wouldn't want to put myself on a road bike anyway. Maybe like a Harley or something, Harley Davidson. Um, just to have that like cruise factor. But it's more the fact like the other idiots on the road. Yeah. But that's why I'd, if I was going to go on the road, I would ride a Harley and not a like a road bike. Because if I rode a road bike, I'd probably kill myself. Like I just have that need for speed. Like I always want to be going fast. So. And with talking to a speedway rider here. I mean, that is in- incredibly dangerous, surely. I mean, how many injuries have you got through your career? Um, I've been pretty good, to be fair. I've only like done my tib, fib, both my arms, my hand, my fingers, collarbone eight times. <laughs> Do you get a tattoo for every injury? <laughs> no, no, no. So but like, I've been lucky, like they're not big ones. Like they're not like back, like femur. Like they're the ones that really like mess you up and slow people down, so. Um, yeah. MotoGP riders, if they fracture an ankle or something, they're normally back on the bike 10 minutes later. I mean, if, if you have done a tib or a fib, or, I mean, how, how, long does it, how long does it take before you can get back on the bike? Or are you able to ride with a certain degree of injury? Um, yeah, depending on which leg it would be. Mm. So like, if it was your right tib and fib, that's the footrest that you stand on. So you've got a lot of pressure through that. So that would be hard. You probably mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to ride on the right, but on the left, you don't really use it. So you could probably get away with like, you know, three weeks if it was like screwed and plated. Um, doctors always tell you six to 12 weeks. Like 
that's just to cover their ass so they don't like have <laughs> right. any issues in the future. So if a doctor tells you like six to 12 weeks, you normally half it. Like that's the rule of That's time. a speedway rule or your rule. Well, that's probably an athlete rule. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I double um, it. <laughs> like a car racer or a motorcyclist or like you normally half what they say. So I broke my collarbone in 2013 um, and raced the next round of the world championships two weeks later. So it's- Just with painkillers? Uh, nah, cause we're on water anti-doping. So ah. you can only really take paracetamol and broken collarbone so and paracetamol don't really do anything. <laughs> so you just have to gr grin and bear it. Yeah, yeah, just man up a little bit. And then I broke it again, the second last round. I crashed again and broke it again in my first race and I continued racing that night. Wow, I mean, yeah. and in terms of um, Poland being a huge scene for this, do you see a big difference between the different kind of stadia that you race at? Or is there a big surface difference and then do you have to calculate for that? Or is yeah. it pretty simple? Okay. No, yeah, so like, we've tried data logging, but data logging is really hard because we haven't got like tarmac, hot, cold, or wet and dry. Right. We have like different material in Poland, different in Sweden, different in England, different in the Grand Prix, indoor, indoor, world championship rounds they bring in a different dirt which has more stones in it um you go to slovenia it's really stony and sandy and not much like clay or or shale so um the tracks do change everywhere you go even in poland like from one sunday to the next is different um and then depending on how much sun there is as to how dry it gets if they water it if it's got stones and they drag it from the outside to the inside then it's like riding on marbles so the, the track's evolving every five minutes, every two minutes. So we, you constantly see a rider race, like do the race, come back to the, like over, look over the fence, watch the track, watch the track grade, are they watering? And you're trying to set the bike up based on what you're seeing from over the fence. What, what's the most challenging kind of scenario that you've ever raced in? And, and do you remember a particular race where you really struggled with the surface? Yeah, so last year in Slovenia, it was my worst, um, my worst, my worst score in my career um, ever, like even in league racing, I got five points, which five points, my worst score was eight leading up to that event. Um, yeah, and I got five and just a track that I can't figure out. Like I can't, I can be fast everywhere all year and then I'll go there and like struggle to make the semi-final. Don't know why. Um, we try different setups every time over the last however many years we've been for pre-season testing at that track to try and find something that works and then the pre-season test you feel like you've got a good setup and then you run it in the grand prix and it's like wow that's like we're miles off still so um that track's always there's always something there but in 2015 i was really fast there like i was passing people for fun from i was going from last to first couldn't get out the start but yeah last to first and, and passing people like they were like they were stood still so in the in the car world drivers often talk about a favorite track whether it's spa or cadwell park wherever it might be i mean your world all the tracks are essentially the same shape give or take surface differences i mean do you actually have a favorite yes yeah, one so way you always feel completely there's different up? different cambers different banking different shapes narrower straights wider straights so they do all feel completely different to ride even though they are all still an oval um, which is which is nice because then you're not having that repetitive kind of feeling like you're doing the same thing all the time. Um, but as far as an event's concerned, the British Grand Prix in Warsaw they have sixty thousand that's sold out, but in Cardiff they might have forty five fifty thousand. Stadium's not sold out, but the atmosphere is twice as good. 
So if I was going to recommend anyone to come watch an event, I'd say go to that one. It's a man-made track, indoor, good atmosphere, loud, good buzz around the city because it's all quite close and tied in together um, at the Principality Stadium. So the whole event just has that aura and that buzz about it. And it's just a, a great, great one to be involved with. Is there ever a place where, where you encounter fans are like football ultras? I mean, do people really get into Speedway to, in the same way, you know, flares and, and chants and all that? Yeah, in Poland they do. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't, I've seen a, 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 there's one track in Sweden that does it, but in Poland it's like every track, like they have like police around the away fans and vi they always video the away fans at every, every race we go to. Um, you know they're sh shaking the fence and screaming at each other and throwing cans and drinks and gets a bit out of hand but it's it all adds to the atmosphere and normally they don't sit the the hooligans w is what they call them together they're kind of like on the opposite side of the stadium from each other but they sing to each other and I mean this yeah, is amazing are, are you aware, are you conscious of that when you're actually racing yeah you yeah. can't not be they're so loud like when you've got like I don't know there's probably like five five to 10,000 of them squashed into that area and they're all singing the same song. Sometimes if like there's a stadium at our stadium, the roof kind of goes over. So what they do, they all walk up to the stairs and they face the stadium. They face the, like the, the grandstand and they sing into the grandstand. So the echoes and comes out louder. Like, it's just must be incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. cool. Ty, it's been a real pleasure and a privilege to have you here this morning. Thank you ever so much for joining us, but we are now out of time. So I say thank you all to tuning in to this latest Royal Automobile Club podcast and associated with Motorsport magazine. And we look forward to seeing you again next time. Thank you very much. Cheers, mate.